Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We watched some moving pictures. Yeah, usually uh, during um, major events like Oscars or Super Bowl or holidays, we like to do a little counter-programming and stuff. But we're actually doing our own counter-programming because the Oilers game that we were watching went south in a hurry for our local team. So we thought, let's watch the Space Pirates instead because how much worse could it get? Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to check the score because it, yeah, it was it was very bad. Yeah. So we were like, yeah, what what could be better than a terrible, terrible hockey game? Possibly the Space Pirates. And guess what? It was. I thought we just watched uh, episode two. Wait a minute. So this is terrible? No. no. Wait, I'm confused. No, just that uh, well, <coughs> received fan wisdom yes. is that the Space Pirates is terrible. Mm. Uh, we're watching a terrible hockey game. Yeah. And so the idea that the Space Pirates would be better is, you know, a questionable idea, ah. but worth checking out. Mm. And it turned out that it was indeed better, I thought. Good. <laughs> Glad you're happy. Yeah. yeah what, what did you like? Uh, did you like the um, the fact that the master tape for this is a 35 millimeter <laughs> film reel and thus made for excellent uh, vid firing and, and uh, audio restoration purposes? You took the words right out of my mouth. No, you didn't. Uh, but that now that you mention that, yes, it did. It did look very good. And now I am. I'm sad that the rest of the episodes are not going to have this. Um, and I mean, I don't know if it's just because maybe episode one uh, was less exciting than episode two, but I was definitely more engaged and more into it. And I think a lot of that does come down to the fact that we can actually see moving pictures and watch the performances. And oh my God, that the captain, it's like, it's like he's, he's acting like he's been transported from a totally different show. Like he was, he was plucked off of stage in the middle of a Shakespearean performance or something like, you know, a very over the top, you know, maybe maybe not like Royal Shakespeare Company production, but uh, you know, and uh, and here say these space lines, right. <laughs> but he does it with just the same delivery, and I can see how if I was in the wrong frame of mind, uh-huh. I would maybe be really annoyed by that, <laughs> but I am just thoroughly amused. I'm just like that's just that is this guy's character and I've I've taken that on and it makes me laugh. And there was one particular line, uh the line that he said that you mentioned last time at the very beginning in the reprise. It's going to be we're going to be too late again. <laughs> yeah. Where I turned to you and I said, you know, I feel like that delivery of the line is right up there with the uh no not the mind probe uh-huh. from the five doctors. And then later in the episode we get a line about a mind probe and my like my mind is blown. Yes. Donald G, as uh, Ian Warren suggests, the mind probe. And he went, what? <laughs> How could I have pegged that? Yeah. yeah what a what a weird thing uh, that, that made me laugh. Um, also, it's nice to be able to sort of see their costumes and the way that they move and stuff. And we get not hair helmet, but hairstyle helmets. I have I have dubbed them. Yes, um, uh, um, Madeline is her first name, I think. The one when on Taw, everyone there, her assistant, whoever is at her desk, uh, has these weird gold hairdo-looking helmet things. Or silver. They could be silver. They're shiny. Yeah, they're like beehive helmets, basically, is what yep. they're wearing, yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I would love to see somebody cosplaying that. Yes. Because the rest of the outfit's pretty cool, too. You have sort of like a tabard style kind of um, almost tunicky thing mm-hmm. over something that looks like it's um, a little bit more shiny and metallic, but in like a checked pattern or... or it, something like that i don't know it's it's hard to tell exactly what it is but it, it looks really cool and like these giant hairdos and i do not trust her no well she's a woman in a robert holmes story i mean how can you oh, actually you make an excellent point there <laughs> i mean i love robert holmes facility with character and language but he was crap at writing women um he he's a, he does better at writing eggs than he does at writing women yeah, you have an egg theory because there's a future Robert Holmes story that features a hard-boiled egg, and yes. here we have uh, Milo, Milo Clancy enjoying a hard or trying to soft. hard. Oh, a soft-boiled egg. Yeah, that's a soft-boiled egg, uh, I believe. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he cracks it open and is about to eat it with the spoon and says, "Now go away! I'm trying to eat my breakfast." Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. So I think Robert Holmes has a thing about eggs. Yeah. Like now, I want to watch all the rest of the Robert Holmes stories, you know, because I don't remember them super well uh-huh. to see. Like, do eggs come up in the? He wrote the two doctors, didn't he? There's a lot of food talk in there, so there's. I bet eggs are mentioned at least once. Possibly. Have to consult the script, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of listing of different foods, right. so probably in there. But yeah, um, uh, Liz on Verity is is often fond of mentioning in Terror of the Autons the one um, uh, he like he's just like kind of a grunt worker scientist guy. Googe. Googe, yes, on the uh, radio telescope. Yep. And he's complaining about the uh, hard boiled egg that his wife has given him in his. In his lunch, and it's a, what does he say? Aesthetically boring or something? Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just this perfect line to give you like you know everything you need to know about Gooch in that one line, and I feel like here we get it's not so much a line as a you know a bit of business on on stage that we're right. getting with the egg. So I mean, maybe Robert Holmes didn't have that in his script. You know, he didn't say specifically he's eating a, a soft boiled egg, but he probably said he's eating his breakfast. So. I don't know. Anyway, I found that a uh, delightful introduction to Milo Clancy. That's a name that I knew because I'd heard you on Radio Free Scarrow talking about him before. Right. Um, but the 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 camera work, so it's an empty room and the camera kind of moves down and low behind this counter and comes around and I'm like, "Oh, whatever we're going to see, it's going to be pretty exciting." And then suddenly an egg slides down out of a little tube and I flipped out because it was so exciting it was like the biscuit dispenser from the 13th doctor doctor's tardis and i was just like i want more food dispensers in doctor who that is the thing that makes me very happy so i was excited about the egg and then sure enough milo clancy comes in and he he gets his egg i was worried at first that it was a raw egg and he had a chicken like in this box (laughs) and i thought that was very cruel but no it turns out it's a, a cooker of some sort and it has has perfectly soft boiled his egg so that he can try to have his breakfast except it keeps getting interrupted by flashing lights and people calling him and yeah he's just this solar toaster is malfunctioning yep he's just like he's sort of like the old prospector and just sort of <laughs> okay he's exactly like the old prospect well he doesn't have the old prospector voice from like the he, he does he totally does gordon gostello plays him like oh Bob, what are you doing there sonny a little bit but it's it's not quite as old prospector as say uh jason and steve do on the incomparable okay. podcast like that's a slightly different old pro- prospector voice but it's it's it is in the same category for sure 
They are. They are <clears throat> the, that, that particular old prospector and and this guy are are cousins for sure. Yeah, I I um I never really until we're watching it now really um found the ties to westerns as overt as they really are and like yeah we have milo clancy dressed as a prospector like he's wearing like a check shirt like he has no business being on a you know on a on a spaceship talks like a prospector i never really realized the music either is basically dudley simpson doing um sort of a you know your standard there's a sort of a sort of drum beat native drumbeat of the time that westerns would be ha- and with the high-pitched female vocals kind of like a spaghetti western music in a way too like they are really leaning heavily into the um mm-hmm. the western aspect of this yeah and they talk about be- him um being a minor and like all of the old fellows like him um you know making their own claims and then jumping each other's claims you know you got, you got claim jumpers you got prospectors you you know and yeah. miners and that's yeah that's very very old west gold rush sort of thing only it's an argonite rush yeah and, and um general hormack talking about like you know the days of the last frontier and mm-hmm. this is before you know the the space corps sort of moved in and all the prospectors are upset now about mm-hmm. having to sort of be policed by them and all that yeah yep and he's apparently the last one which is exactly why the general or captain what's his he's a general general hermack Hermack, yeah. And so he uh, jumps to this conclusion that Milo Clancy is actually in charge of the pirates because he's disgruntled and he's the last one left. So he's somehow gotten together this group of, of pirates to, to be able to take a bunch of the Argonite because the planet and the claim that he has is all um, worked out. And that was, that was a scene where... Um, I mentioned in our last episode that there were some seriously info dumpy lines that happened, especially coming from the general. Uh, and here we got that same thing again, where he's explaining to the the woman on Ta uh, basically a bunch of stuff that she already knows and telling us the audience uh, about his claim that's worked out and how her planet's claim was also worked out. But then she says she brought in a bunch of, you know, new equipment and was able to make it work for her again. I suspect that she's in charge. This is just me guessing because I don't know this story at all. My guess, don't tell me, I'm not even looking at your face, uh, is that she's in charge of the pirates and she hasn't brought in the new machinery. Maybe she has. She brought in some new machinery, but that's not what's making her claim um, workable again. It's because she's got pirates working for her. I could be totally wrong and it's going to be super embarrassing if I am, but it's... Like, there aren't going to be many more times in uh, Doctor Who that I'm going to have a chance to just guess at something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just taking advantage of it here in my last gasp. You assume that I have a working knowledge of the plot points oh. of the Space Pirates. <laughs> I've watched it like three times, probably. And and this is the first time I've watched this much better uh, reconstruction of it, which actually incorporates the... Um, the moving images from the model footage into it. The the one that I have on DVD is much older than this and is of lesser, like, actual physical quality. So, like, the pictures aren't as clear. So it's always been a story that has sort of, like, I remember bits of it, I think, but without having visuals to sort of match. So I, I'm watching this recon, apart from episode two that we just watched for the first time as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's, really, it's the newer of the, the loose cannon um 
uh, releases. So, uh, so I I don't necessarily remember what happens in the story for the next four episodes. Okay, so I don't have to worry about not looking at you for reactions when I say random guesses. Yeah, like I I last watched it for my blog that I have yet to finish um, way back when during the first Doctor Who gap year in 2009. And I sort of watched it mildly intently then. But it's amazing how... I pay it. I said this before on this podcast about how when we're watching it for a podcast, I find I have to pay attention a little more because I feel like, oh, you're paying attention because you're watching it for the first time often. And I'm thinking, I should know my stuff about this thing too. So, so yeah, but I don't remember. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm bummed that the next four episodes are all going to be reconstructed. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a, a sad thing after seeing this. And I feel like I'm much more sort of pulled into the story than I was in the first one. It was, it was great to see the Doctor and Jamie and Zoe sort of <coughs> not even distraught, just sort of like they've almost almost given up there's not a lot of hope and you get some good performances out of them and patrick troughton has some some great like close-up face acting as he's he's trying to work on stuff but he is not confident but he's trying and then he's explaining magnets to jamie (laughs) and he he hands him a couple props here have a look at yourself and you sort of like oh look at that they're rejecting each other they're not Uh Which is, you know, still uh, maybe a little bit sticking with the educational remit of uh, <laughs> of the original, yep. uh, the original Doctor. Ooh, kids, this is how magnets work. <laughs> um, and yeah, of course, the fact that his his grand plan doesn't work and it shoots them off into space. And I love the fact that the Doctor doesn't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. He's he is straight up and honest with with his companions. And I feel like later, some of the later incarnations of the Doctor might not have been quite as forthright and you know may have tried to calm them down and make them feel better and he was just like no they're a team and he respects them and he tells them the, tr- the truth and i love that yeah um also boy like end of episode two and the doctor and the companions are still barely in this story how do, how do you feel about that I don't mind. Yeah. I really don't care at all. Like I I'm it like I said I enjoyed the the bits with them, but honestly, I was I was pretty excited and riveted by all the rest of this stuff. This mm-hmm. is very much another one of those stories where you've got um a space mystery going on. Something that's something is happening and the doctor and his companions sort of fall into it but aren't a big part of it at least yet. Uh and I'm enjoying the intrigue of what's happening elsewhere it's it's a space mystery there are spaceships there's a there's a confused looking spaceship there what was the name of the their shark ship something minnows no 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 not theirs the the other ones beta, oh. the beta something beta sharks yeah beta beta darts beta, beta darts yeah. that's what it was um yeah like that that ship i love it yeah. i think that might be my favorite like ship Ship shape, <laughs> of uh, Bristol fashion. Yeah, yeah, of of uh, of all of Doctor Who, maybe because it's just like look at it. It's got like that long pointy nose and the like the the windows that look like eyes, and it just has such a 
such an expression on its weird looking face with like a mouth that's sort of open in the corners. Anyway, I, if you're not familiar with this story, if you have been listening to this podcast just for the heck of it, uh, I'm, I'm talking to you, Annette. Um, <laughs> please, please go to Google and, and look up the Space Pirates and look at this ship because it is just, it is something. It is something. Yeah, all the spaceships, the VLO 41 and the Liz 79, which is old and the beta darts and yeah and the little minnows again with a little narrow nose on them i mean it looks and honestly i think they should call it a mosquito and not a minnow because of the long pointy nose looks looks very mosquito like and and yeah like they're the the main ship of the space force is very very flat like it's like it's like a square pancake yeah it's kind of cool i like the design of that actually and then but they still have enough room for like a little shuttle bay where the minnow sprouts out from where where um major warren flies a ship in Oh, and speaking of design, the other thing that I was really excited about in this episode is, so they're talking about how, uh, so we see then uh, the doctor and his companions are in this basically floating room Mm -hmm. that had been part of the rest of of the beacon. And so as as soon as we saw that they're alive in there, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Obviously, the beacons were built in a modular fashion, which to me totally makes sense when you're building something in space, um, building it in a modular way so that if one part, you know, loses air pressure or something, the rest of it isn't automatically compromised. Like that just seems like a very logical thing. So good job, whoever whoever designed this and, and thought forward. And then later on in the episode, we have them talking about exactly the same thing that I was thinking. So, you know, I was vindication for the the headcanon that I had 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 was it was very briefly headcanon because then it became canon canon because uh, they talked about it on screen and how it was all these modules actually just being held together with strong magnets which seems like a really great smart cool idea and i mean maybe some scientist out there could tell me why that's a bad idea in space but for the purposes of this episode <laughs> i thought that was that was really neat um and yeah, and then it also gives you a reason why they could be alive and also why they wouldn't have a, you know, an unending supply of oxygen. There's just probably a couple canisters in each each one of those little mm-hmm. little things. So if they could have gotten to the next one, then maybe they would have been able to re-up their oxygen and continue moving along. It was a good plan on the doctor's part. They really messed it up and shot the thing off into space. But then apparently that was enough to cause an interest for Milo Clancy to dock with the ship and come in and shoot Jamie. This story has had two pretty pretty solid cliffhangers. Um, I know sometimes... We talk about early Doctor Who not having the greatest uh, cliffhangers, and I think that it has consistently gotten better as we've been uh, watching along. Even though there were some, still some good ones back yeah. in the the Hartnell era, uh, but but here, so far, so good. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, yay! Yeah. So you enjoyed this episode, then? I really did. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm consistently nervous that it's going to, you know, go downhill because I always tend to like beginnings, mm. and then sometimes you get the the filler episodes later on and in the middle, like episode four or five has a tendency to be right. the one that's just kind of padded and dragged. So we haven't gotten there yet, but so far, I'm giving a solid thumbs up to the space pirates. It's exciting to watch anything that is completely new to you, mm-hmm. isn't it? That's true. I think definitely part of the the joy that I'm feeling is just that like this is this is my last gasp of completely completely 100% new. Um there there will be a few Pertwee stories that are going to be mostly new, but this is just a blank slate in a way that nothing in the future I think will be. Mm-hmm. 
Um, two bits of uh, production-based info dump, if you'll allow me. I will allow it. Uh, this is the only story directed by Michael Hart. Yep. I think he goes on to direct some Crossroads episodes in the 70s and 80s or something like that. But Isn't Crossroads the movie with like Britney Spears and Justin something something? Too old to be a girl, yet too young to be a woman. That was the name of the song in there. I watched that movie back when I worked at the... Yeah, well, when I worked at a TV station, it was my job to watch movies. And so for a three or four year period, I basically watched every single movie uh, that we had. And uh, Crossroads was one of them. Directed by Michael Hart? No, no, I don't think so. Um, no, he. So I don't. I don't know what else he did with his career, but this is it. Um, and the second, back. I don't know when it was, but someone who had an early home video recorder contacted the restoration team or someone associated with it and says, "Hey, everyone, I have got a videotape with a Doctor Who episode on it that we taped." on original broadcast in the 60s. That's super early for a video recording music. So they came by and had a look at it, loaded up. Oh, this is really exciting. Oh, my. Oh, it's the Space Pirates. Ah, uh, it's episode two. It's the one we already have. But so this, the, the, the VCR recording of this episode represents the earliest known um, home video recording of a Doctor Who episode, 1969. Wow. That's yeah. fascinating. Can you imagine if that person actually, like, taped... Mm-hmm. Other episodes, but I don't think that person did. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what the restoration team said, too. When they thought, ooh, missing episode, it's the same one we already have. Yeah, that's 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 a little bit heartbreaking, but, but it's still cool that like I, I would not have known that there were VCRs in homes. I know. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, and there must have been some, you know, like early microwaves or something probably did everything. Mm-hmm. Certainly was top-loading, I bet. Oh, yeah, of course. You got to have the top loading. Like, what was it? That was probably like Umatic or like Shabaden or something like that. Mm-hmm. Betamax wasn't around at that point. So uh, yeah. <laughs> now I'm fascinated by what tape machine it was. And I want to read up on it more. Nerd. That's me. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, shall we watch the next one at a whenever? Not necessarily right now or just later? At some point, we will definitely go on to the non-moving episode three of The Space Pirates. Woo! Woo! Goodbye. Goodbye.